This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Jim Mulhern next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. They know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy, and you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The nation's dairy farmers and dairy industry have endured a challenging economic climate for the past three years. Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, says the 2014 dairy farm policy must be revised in the upcoming farm bill. Fixing the margin protection program is of uh, of paramount importance because, frankly, right now, dairy farmers in the U.S. don't have an effective safety net program. And, and we need one. We need a program that provides protection on the, the downside risk. We don't want a, a program that is designed to uh, provide too much support or to incent milk production, and not a program to guarantee a profit, but we do need a program to provide a safety net when prices drop into, into you know, very low, stressful, and catastrophic levels. Do you have a game plan that you would call for? Or is this still a work in progress with the members of those committees? Well, we're continuing to work with members of the committee on uh, specific uh, provisions of a package, but we have a very clear uh, game plan and a very clear proposal that's been provided to the House and Senate Agriculture Committees and Agriculture Interests on Capitol Hill, uh, all designed to address the needed fixes to the margin protection program, program is not working, but the tweaks that need to be made to make it work are not major ones. They will have a bit more cost than the current program. Frankly, it can't help but have a cost because the current program is not costing anything. In fact, USDA has taken in more money in premium payments from farmers the last two years than the program has paid out. It's made very, very small payments uh, in a couple of months uh, of the years in both uh, 2015 and 2016. No payments at all here in 2017. So this is a program that USDA is actually has brought in more money than it's paid out. The point you raised in terms of the, the policy debate, once that gets going, the real key issue is how much money is going to be available for a farm bill. That has to get settled before you can, you know, we can predict exactly what is available to make policy improvements. But I would say that it's well known throughout agriculture policy circles and throughout the country that there are two commodities that need to be addressed, uh, need to have their programs fixed in the 2018 Farm Bill. That's dairy and cotton. And no secret, we've been working to make those changes, improvements in the program. We tried to do some on the appropriations process this year. That bill is still waiting for final passage. Uh, hopefully we can get that done, then focus 
specifically on the Farm Bill, and I am optimistic that the Congress gets the Farm Bill finished, probably not finished late this year, but I think it'll be first quarter next year, and I am optimistic that when the dust settles, that that bill will contain the improvements in the margin protection program that we need and also to address risk management, um, both for producers and processors. One of the points that I want to make uh, in this discussion, Jeff, is that for the first time in, in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm not a young man anymore, but the, for the first time in my lifetime, we've got a situation in this next farm bill where the dairy producers and the dairy processors are in agreement on needed changes in the farm bill. Uh, that is music to the ears of members of Congress. They're not going to have to choose between producers and processors when they decide to cast a vote. We're working together on changes that both producers and processors need to provide more stability, um, more ability to, to hedge risk, um, that will provide improvements uh, on both sides. So I'm optimistic as we go into the 2018 Farm Bill. The House Agriculture Ranking Member Colin Peterson told me earlier this year that in 14, uh, we had dairy policy that fixed the problem, but the CBO screwed it up. So the question then again, if there's no more money, is the policy that you're bringing to the table, can it provide a better set of circumstances for dairy producers and processors than you have now, or is it imperative that they spend more money? Yeah, the, the short answer to your question is no. You can't do it without spending, without providing more baseline for dairy. But that's for two reasons. One, the point you made that when CBO did its estimates last time in the 2014 Farm Bill debate, the result of that score, what they proposed, what they suggested or, or um, forecasted, what the National Milk Producers Federation policy would cost the the original margin protection program, uh, the result of their projection and the looking at the available money led the Congress to to make a cut in the the feed adjuster and uh, the the margin program is essentially a program that looks at the milk income over the cost of feed and that calculation of the cost of feed as a result of CBO's score it was cut by 10% that in a nutshell is why the MPP program is not working at this point so we need to restore that cut because it has an artificial suggestion of what the true cost of feed is to to uh, feed a dairy herd and that's why the program's not working fixing that is going to have a cost and uh, so to get a dairy policy that works is going to require additional dollars from what is in the program right now but it's not going to require huge huge additional dollars you can make this fix within what i think will be available funds to do the farm bill, it's a, it's always a, a, a you know a, a delicate balance um, and an artful process for members of Congress to put a package together. But in the final analysis, I believe that both dairy and cotton will be addressed in a positive manner in this 2018 farm bill. Both commodities will get program improvements that will provide the, the support that those two commodities that our two commodities need. Jim, from information that you provide, dairy exports supporting about a hundred thousand jobs in the U.S. here in 2016. We are down to round four now in the NAFTA 2.0 renegotiation. Uh, the first three rounds have pulled niceties off and a lot of low-hanging fruit has been resolved. Many in U.S. agriculture would say, just leave it alone. Do no harm, rubber stamp, and move ahead. But from the dairy industry, a rubber stamp is not acceptable. Rubber stamp is not acceptable. I would say that the do-no-harm approach 
works in our mind with respect to the U.S.-Mexican relationship, and that's been a, you know, a major concern of ours from day one. When NAFTA renegotiations started, we were greatly concerned about a potential backlash or, or negative um, uh, process with respect to Mexico, because Mexico's been a great partner for the U.S. when it comes to, to dairy trade. Over the last 24 years of NAFTA, uh, Mexico has become our most important export market. U.S. dairy producers and processors send over a billion dollars, one billion plus dollars worth of dairy products to Mexico each year. And that, that has, as I said, become our most important and largest market. We have zero tariffs on virtually all the dairy products that go into Mexico. So it's become very, very important. I can't say that about Canada, and that really is where the, the problem for the U.S. dairy industry is in these negotiations. And that's what um, round four, which is uh, starting this week, will focus on. Um, if I was up in Ottawa two weeks ago for round three of the negotiations, had a chance to speak to our negotiators, um, interests from Canada, from Mexico, um, and, and many and others in the um, U.S. ag and business community. As we go into round four, this is where the agriculture market access negotiations will will begin. The U.S. will is expected to table a, its proposal on market access for agriculture, and most importantly for us, uh, U.S. will table its proposal on uh, dairy trade with Canada. There are two key issues there that must be addressed uh, from the U.S. perspective with Canada. One is this uh, this new uh, pricing policy that Canada put in place earlier this year, the National Ingredients Strategy, which is essentially a, a policy by Canada to dump its surplus uh, milk solids, protein, skim milk powder uh, products, dump those onto the world market and uh, depress prices for the U.S. and other other players in that world market. The second aspect that must be addressed in the negotiations is Canada's high tariff wall. Um, we can't really export many dairy products to Canada from the U.S. because the tariffs are in the range of 250 to 300 percent. Um, that prevents any real access to that market. So those two issues must be addressed. Um, my hope and expectation is the U.S. proposal will address both those issues, and uh, I don't think they're, gonna, they're not going to get resolved in round four, uh, but we'll start to see the shape of what this debate is going to look like going forward. The, our administration strongly understands and is very supportive of, of the uh, initiatives we've put forward from the U.S. perspective, and I'm um, optimistic as we go into this next round that we'll make some progress on market access for agriculture overall and, most importantly, from my perspective, for dairy. From the bottom line, what do you have to have in dairy to say okay to this deal? Class 7 has to be rescinded. What Canada has done is they've increased milk production quotas at the farm level to get more milk because they need more milk fat. Their sales of butter and cheese are very strong in Canada, as they are in the United States and, frankly, around the world. We have a very strong demand for milk fat, but they don't have enough demand for the milk solids, the protein and other ingredients to come with that, with that milk fat when, when you uh, increase quota. And what, so what they've tried to do, since they have a, a supply management system that sets very high domestic prices, they have priced themselves out of the world market with their domestic dairy policy structure. They put in this new Class 7 to take those surplus milk solids and price them at the lowest price in the world to dump it onto the world market. It, you can't have a policy where you have the highest price 
for your milk on one hand and the lowest export price in the world on the other. The two simply don't match. They don't mesh. And that's the dumping that's going on with that product from Canada. That has to be addressed. Other issue that must be addressed is the high tariffs that Canada imposes. Um, in the earlier rounds of NAFTA, both in the initial U.S.-Canada free trade agreement and in the second round, the establishment of NAFTA, dairy really wasn't included in the NAFTA or the U.S.-Canada free trade agreement between the U.S. and Canada because of those high tariffs. Uh, that has to be addressed. We're talking about a free trade agreement. A free trade agreement implies free trade open borders. So we'd like to see the the tariffs eliminated in Canada as they have been in Mexico and we can have an integrated North American market in dairy like we really have in beef and pork and other commodities. With regard to the European Union, the US has been heightened to the geographic indicators debate and whether that is a trade agreement between the US and the Europeans or between Europe and some of our major customers, uh, U.S. has been willing to chime in on that. What is the issue with geographic indicators and the dairy industry as it pertains to the European Union? Well, this has been a major problem, Jeff, um, and growing for the last several years, where the um, Europeans are seeing that, uh, uh, particularly with respect to um, to dairy products, and cheese is the one product in particular, seeing the great um, uh, quality cheeses being produced in the United States, um, they're getting worried. And their latest ploy has been to try to uh, claim, claw back names that are have been in common use, common food names, uh, generic names, uh, products like uh, Parmesan, um, Asiago, Gorgonzola, uh, even mozzarella to some extent, and claim those those names as the exclusive domain of the uh, of Europe, where the products originated, you know, hundreds of years ago, uh, they are now trying to put that those geographic indications language, that provision, into trade agreements, free trade agreements that they're negotiating with countries around the world, and they've been successful to some extent with uh, with South Korea. Uh, with some of the South American countries, um, they have actually gotten language into FTAs that um, that prevent the U.S., for example, of marketing a cheese product in a third country, uh, which within contains the name of one of the one of the products on this list. Again, products that are in that are generic. Uh, products produced here in the U.S. and produced in other countries around the world. So we've been fighting back strongly against that. Uh, last week, we joined with uh, a number of U.S. food interests. It's not just a dairy issue. It's an issue in meat. It's an issue in wine and other food products. And uh, to ask the United States government to uh, urge both Japan and Mexico two countries that are in the midst of free trade negotiations with the European Union, to not give them the, not give Europe the exclusive um, use of these names. Uh, these are non-tariff trade barriers. Europeans have been at this for many, many years. They always come up with a new scheme to, to put up some non-tariff trade barrier, and we're trying to fight, fight against that. So our, our effort is to protect the use of common food names in dairy and in other products uh, and prevent the Europeans from trying to put up these, as I said, uh, non-tariff trade barriers uh, to block our export of products into third country markets. It is obvious that immigration is important to the produce industry, but not as well known that immigration and uh, guest worker programs 
are critical to the dairy industry. 2013, uh, Virginia Representative Bob Goodlett attempted uh, immigration reform policy to try to make sure there were enough workers in the country to satisfy the need for agriculture. Working on that again, that would basically scrap H-2A and become uh, an H-2C and put the administration of that under the Department of Agriculture. How do you see his proposal? Will it work for the dairy industry? His proposal, um, I think, will work for the dairy industry, and we've come out in strong support of getting this process going and support of Chairman Goodlatte and his efforts and to get the bill moving through the process. Last week, we communicated to Chairman Goodlatte the strong support from National Milk Producers Federation and virtually all of our member cooperatives and state dairy associations from around the U.S. have all indicated support um, for this bill. It does address many of the needs of the dairy industry. To your, to your point, Jeff, uh, this is a critical issue for, for dairy farmers. Uh, fully more than 75% of the milk produced in the U.S. comes from farms that employ immigrant labor. And we know that much of that labor is undocumented. This issue has to be addressed. We've been kicking the can down the road for years and years and years now, and it's time for action. The bill you mentioned that Chairman Goodlad had proposed in 2013 had some issues of concern to us. We've been meeting with him and his staff over the course of the last year. Uh, it's, it's a bill that addresses many of our needs. What it does uh, in terms of taking the, the H-2A program and converting it to this new H-2C program is it addresses the needs of dairy, which is for full-time, non-seasonal, full-time jobs. Our jobs are not temporary. They're not seasonal like the H-2A program provides. We need access to a year-round workforce, and the bill that uh, uh, Congressman Goodlatte has uh, put together and is uh, wanting to move through the, through the Judiciary Committee and onto the House floor will provide that framework that we can get this process going. There are some improvements we'd like to see down the road if we can make them, but the bill is a very good one to get this process going. We need immigration reform legislation. We need it in this Congress. We can't wait any longer. It is causing huge problems on our farms finding available workers. Let's look at the downside. What happens if Congress kicks the can again in 2017? From a financial st- standpoint, from a uh, from a production standpoint, just from an industry position overall, what happens if nothing gets done again this year? Well, the problem has become acute. We're Beyond the time where we can, you know, keep hoping for action, we have to have action by the Congress to address this issue. There are farmers across the country who don't have adequate labor for their workforce. That has consequences. It is having a serious impact on the the growth and, frankly, the stability of the U.S. dairy industry. An enforcement-only approach simply doesn't work. And my fear is that um, we're going to lose the ability to meet consumer marketplace needs to produce enough milk simply because we won't have the workers to milk the cows to get milk to the market. Well, Jim Milhern, we want to thank you very much for taking time from a busy schedule to talk to us about the dairy industry and the National Milk Producers Federation. Thanks for your time. It is open mic, and you have the last word. 
Well, Jeff, let me just say how much I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you uh, on these issues. As you can tell from the, the conversation, there's a lot going on. Uh, we started this conversation. You asked about uh, we're three-fourths the year, way through the year, and what does it look like? Um, I've got to say that 2017 has been one of the busiest policy years that I've ever been involved in on so many fronts, whether it is you know farm bill, um, whether it is environmental issues, uh, uh, whether it's the, the marketplace issues on peel back the label um, or trade policy. Um, we've got a lot going on, um, much of it good, much of it challenging, uh, but all in all, I think we're making great progress and appreciate all the work that, that you and the team at AgriPulse does covering not only the dairy industry, but um, all of uh, U.S. agricultural policy. It's a joy to work with you, and I appreciate the, the chance to talk about these issues here today. Our thanks to Jim Bullhart, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.